this is Eric Jones's best racetrack. Do you think Eric Jones can win this race? Because 50 to 1, he opened up at Caesars. Race number 11 of the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series season is now complete. Chase Elliott in victory lane after we've been talking about, you know, it's been a while since Chase Elliott won a race, uh, especially a non-road course race. Chase Elliott in victory lane at Dover. At first, it looked like Denny Hamlin, your boy Denny Hamlin, Nick, had the best car early on in the race, and then uh, his pit crew didn't get the tire on tight. Ended his day from there. He also got in a wreck with Cody Ware. That's also brought up... Um, some controversy in in the NASCAR penalty world, which I'm sure we want to get into first. We'll also talk about uh, how good of a race Dover was because I know a lot of people enjoyed it. It's about 80% on the on Jeff Gluck's good luck or good bad poll. I'm I'm kind of on the fence of it recency bias of other races not being that great, and people are saying it was good because from what I saw. Leader, you still couldn't pass the leader, and that's the problem we've been seeing with all short track races this year. Yeah, you have those same concerns, not so much because I feel like the leader checked out pretty much every single time. Um, it would be one thing if somebody was catching the leader and you just couldn't pass them, but I feel like each time the leader you know was leading, he checked out. Now, maybe that's a product of clean air, and uh. But but even then, if if why is it the leaders pulling two three seconds ahead? You know it shouldn't be that much of an advantage. So maybe just those cars or those drivers had good cars at those particular times. I thought it was a good race, um, and you know me, I hate when you can't pass the leader. But I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't feel like it was a race where you couldn't pass the leader. I just don't feel like there are any opportunities to pass the leader. Uh, so I think there's a little bit of a difference there. I think if it was, you know, somebody working on another driver for 20 laps, 25 laps, then I'd be like, okay, you can't pass the leader, but it seems every single time the leader pulled out a solid gap. And so I feel that's a little bit of a different situation. Um, I thought it was a good race. I thought it was, you could race side by side. We saw several times drivers were racing side by side throughout the pack, uh obviously i'd like to see more passes for the lead we just didn't have any situations where it really presented itself that opportunity presented itself so um not the best over race of all time but i thought it was you know it was a, a passable good race uh i certainly wouldn't say it was a bad race yeah i'm not saying it's a bad race but a, a few things that you know stuck in stuck in my head was you know early on when especially when chastain was leading it was good to see multiple dominators we had chastain go early uh or hamlin was the earliest uh before his issues then chastain then kyle bush led for 103 laps then chase elliott led for 73 laps so we had a lot of dominators but i specifically remember early on when chastain was leading you know martin tricks he'd get like a two three second lead like you said martin tricks jr would close in on him and then martin tricks jr just couldn't pass and i felt like martin tricks jr had a better car than ross chastain i mean Truex had the most fastest laps in that race, even more than Denny Hamlin did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chastain was third in fastest laps, Kyle Busch fourth. But Truex led the way with 56. So that's kind of – that was where, you know, my mind kind of went with that Dover race was, um, you know, I felt like Truex had the best car. He just couldn't 
get the track position or or get to the lead when he had the chance. You know, he ran about second or third for a lot of the day. And then, you know, at the end of the race, it looked like he tried to wreck Ross Chastain and then wrecked himself, which, you know, affected a lot of DFS plays. And, you know, we can say we got got bets and DFS plays. Plus, um, and, you know, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but Kyle Larson, almost the most owned driver once again in DFS. I don't know what people are doing, but did you think that Martin Truex Jr. tried to wreck Ross Chastain? Because, uh, like, Jeff Gluck said it wasn't. And I'm like, what's what was Truex trying to do there? Like, in what world is Truex trying, not trying to wreck him? Yeah, I I honestly, I watched the whole race. I, I watched the finish, and I was so focused on Elliot winning, and then I was going down to look at my app and, you know, see what bets I hit or whatnot, check the, the scoreboard, the standings. Uh, and I saw Truex had wrecked, but I didn't see how he wrecked or why he wrecked. And then I didn't even see the replay. So I, I to this day, I haven't moment I haven't seen a, a replay of that. So I couldn't tell you my opinion on that because I haven't seen it. Uh, I was too busy, like I said, checking apps, checking results, uh, looking up tweets and stuff to uh, to pay attention to that. So that definitely affected a lot of bets, a lot of DFS outcomes, and. One thing I will say is, man, like JGR was good. Uh, Christopher Bell was really really good. good. Christopher Bell was really good. He may have, had he not had uh, his issue there where he had to go a couple laps down, he may have had the best car. I I legitimately think there's potential he could have had the best car. He never got a track position to show if he had the best car. When you look at average green flag speed, you know, it's only going to show he was 12th in average green flag speed. But that's because he was mired in traffic all day. He had to come through mm-hmm. the field. But there were several points throughout the race where he had the fastest car, uh, especially on the longer run. And I pointed it out pretty early on. You know, and then he got one or two laps down, whatever it was. And it was 500 to one live at Caesars and, and 150 at other books and, and so forth. So uh, it was... It was definitely something where I, I wish I'd gotten some money down on him at 500 to one. I just missed the boat on that. And uh, it was like, oh, I should probably do 100 to one. And then I never ended up doing that. I did end up putting a live bid on Truex eight and a half. But uh, yeah, I, JGR was really, I mean, we talked about how Danny Hamlin dominated the first part of the race. Kyle Busch led the most laps. Truex maybe at the best car. Potentially Chris Rebell had the best car if he had the track position. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't look at Chris Rebell's raw green flag speed, I would adjust it for his average running position, right? So I said he was 12th in average green flag speed and in average running position. I don't have that number right in front of me. Uh, but I'm 14th. 14th in average running position. So two spots better than his average running position in green flag speed. Uh, And, you know, if if we actually look at it, though, he was 14th, but his average running position position was 15.27. Um, so, so he was mired in the middle of the pack on average, most of the day, which isn't going to help your green flag speed, especially if, if we talked about, you know, the leader having an advantage potentially, uh, the cars up front are also going to have an advantage because there's less dirty air, even if you're running second or third, than if you're running 16th and you're also not trying to pass slower cars, you're, you're just running out front, maybe trying to catch a faster car, uh, if you're running up front. So it's a lot easier to run high green flag speed. So if Christopher Bell had the track position, I think he probably has a top five 
you know, average green flag speed potentially for the whole race. Mm-hmm. Number one in green flag speed was Ross Chastain in that race, which, you know, the guy is just absolutely on fire. You, you mentioned, you tweeted out earlier today, his last nine cup series finishes third, second, second, first, 19th, fifth, 33rd, first, and third. 19 and 33 were Richmond and Bristol dirt where he had issues. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he, he was running near or at the front in both those races. Um, we talked about it last week. We've been talking about it for a while. He is a legitimate championship contender and he's just showed it like what this was another week. You know, I said, you know, Kyle Larson was once again, super high owned in DFS. Chastain was right there in the middle of the pack again. He's not getting, you know, like the love that he should have. And, you know, it was a weird DFS ownership day, you know, Guys like uh, Truex was under 20%, even though he started 18th. Uh, Chastain was at 20%. And then, like I said, Kyle Larson at 40%, almost almost 41%, almost as much as Byron, who started 33rd. Now, one thing about Larson, he did come back from issues. You know, he had those early issues, came back, he finished sixth. Still not the Kyle Larson. We have yet to see the Kyle Larson that we've come to expect. I don't want to get into Darlington quick, but I feel like this is a good segue. Do we think that Kyle Larson is poised for a breakout performance now that we've seen the other Hendrick cars really nail it lately? Uh, I know you and I are both on Larson six and a half to one heading into Darlington. Is this finally the week that people need to be on him? Yeah, it's funny because when we look back at Las Vegas, I was saying, don't play him at six and a half to one, whatever, you know, because there was so mm-hmm. much uncertainty. He didn't look amazing at Auto Club. You know, he was only, as I as we've talked about many times on this podcast, about a fifth to a seventh place car, uh, and he did win. And people were betting him at six or whatever it was, five and a half, six to one for Vegas. And I was saying, avoid it. And that's not because he's not good or, or whatever. It just, with what I saw at Auto Club, plus... Vegas isn't one of his best tracks. Uh, I thought maybe there was enough uncertainty. The difference here for me this week, A, it's six and a half to one instead of six or five or or whatever it is uh, from, from Las Vegas. So it's a little bit longer odds. And Darlington is such a good track. Much better than Auto Club, even though Auto Club's a good track for him. Way better than Vegas. That this is a situation where I mean, he's led 30% of the laps Mm -hmm. at Darlington since 2016 in the races that he's run, right? Because he had the suspension in 2020, so he missed a couple of the races. But other races he's run, he's led like 30% of the laps. If you were to randomize those laps that he led, that means 30% of the time he should be first place at the end of the race. Now, that hasn't happened at Darlington, but he's put up a lot of really good finishes, seconds and thirds, etc. And that's even with... Chip Ganassi racing. Yeah, you know, exactly. most of those starts with Chip Ganassi racing. He was dominating here, so mm-hmm. he just hasn't gotten. You know, I think he led two hundred something laps here in Hendrick last year. So um, definitely understand why you're so high, you were so high on him as soon as books opened um, at six and a half to one because that is for you know for Larson that's that's pretty long at his best. I, I would say this is his best track. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's his best track. Uh, the numbers show it, yeah, it, it. It's his best track. And there's a couple ways I justified my six and a half to one. Um, first of all, I ran a quick and dirty model. Uh, obviously, the day of the Dover race being Monday, 
and then the books releasing uh lines on monday means there's a quick turnaround time i mean it was the, the results were hardly official and DraftKings, great job yeah. kudos to them had released you know odds for darlington that was great but uh so i ran a quick and dirty model and that said larson should be a 17 and a half percent winner which is around five i think like five to one uh something like that i, I uh i need to run or like 475 to one and um or plus 475 you know what i mean so that I ran that. And then I also took a distribution of his finishes at Darlington, right? So he's got a second and a second and a third, et cetera, et cetera. You can look at his Darlington finishes and create a distribution out of that. Uh, and it's, it's a statistical distribution called a negative binomial distribution is the best fit for that. And again, if you look at that distribution, it says he should win around 20% of the time. If you also throw in the 30% lap lead number, and, and you supposedly randomize those laps, he should win about 30% of the time. So all these numbers are above the implied odds of like, I think it was like 13.3 or something we were getting at six and a half to one. So there were multiple pieces of evidence that was like, I, and you know me, I don't like betting favorites, but mm-hmm. when the time is right, I will absolutely bet a favorite. And this, the time is right this time. Yeah, this is, I think this is my, my biggest outright bet of the year so far. I've been going pretty light on bets. Um, yeah, I went That's to the units. Yeah. So uh flashing <clears throat> or going back to, to Dover real quick. Your boy Denny Hamlin, like I said, I thought it was gonna be a bad birthday for me. You know, they raced on my birthday since the, the race got postponed. And Denny Hamlin, oh, he had such a good car up until that tire issue. Like I said, there's a little bit of controversy going on. Uh first off though, shout out Denny Hamlin, another finish outside the top ten, this time all the way outside the top twenty. Denny Hamlin now has one top 10 in 11 races this year and an average finish of 22.5. You love to see it. He's behind Justin Haley in the points. Oh, that makes me happy. He's behind Bubba Wallace, you know, and he's he's, the the car owner for that team. And, you know, he just got done calling out that team for their performance. So uh, like I tweeted earlier this week, Denny Hamlin, if you ever want to join this podcast, I'll be glad to interview you about how your season's going. That would be, (laughs) that would make, make my year. But, um, Anyway, so news broke today, I believe, might have been yesterday, that you know, obviously when you have a tire fall off, crew member gets suspended for four races. The guy that's getting suspended though isn't the guy that made the it that caused the tire to come off. And I am thoroughly confused. Like this is classic NASCAR. Like nobody listeners can't see this, but Nick has his head in his hands right now. This is classic NASCAR. What do you? How do you make this decision to penalize the the crew member that didn't make the mistake? Like, and it's not only like, and and I think Pockers tweeted that usually teams still pay these guys that get suspended, but under NASCAR rules, they're they, like they would lose their paycheck for an entire month, and they're and they're suspending the guy that didn't make the issue. So like. How is this decision being made? Like, is there anything, anything anywhere that that this guy should be the one suspended? Yeah, I mean, the the worst part is Bob Hawkers even said uh, this is NASCAR's discretion. The, The rule states two additional team members, in addition to the crew chief, must get suspended. It doesn't specify which crew members. So typically NASCAR has gone with... The jack man, because when he drops the jack, you go. And mm-hmm. the tire changer on either the front or the back. 
But JGR has switched to a new pit stop format where instead of having the f- one guy change all the front tires, so the left front and the right front, and one guy changing the rear tires, the left rear and the right rear, or right rear and left rear, they now do this like swing around thing. And it does save them a little bit of time overall is, is the reason they're implementing it. Um, and that's because not just the tire changers, but also the tire carriers, the Jackman, it's a little less overall distance traveled and, and easier to organize. So JGR has come up with a new pit strategy. So because it was a front tire that came off, they're penalizing the front tire changer. But the front tire changer in this case with the new pit system changes the rear tire on the right side. So you can't really designate like front or rear anymore. You just have to say he's a tire changer. So why can't NASCAR use common sense? It's they have the discretion to choose which crew members get suspended. So why can't they choose the Jackman and the guy changing that tire instead of somebody else who did nothing wrong? And it's just, it, it makes no sense if it's in your, if you were like these crew chief or these crew members, these specific crew members get designated for a front tire falling off. It'll be the front tire changer. Even if you change the rear and you have to specifically designate a front tire changer, if that was it written in the rule that way, I would understand it, but it's not, it's not. So this is complete. What the hell is going on here? Why are you, you know, I tweeted something around a baseball analogy, like, the third baseman fields the ground ball, throws it to first, hits the first baseman right in the mid, you know, right in the middle of the chest. And the first baseman drops the ball and the coach pulls the third baseman anyway. Like that's what NASCAR is doing here. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. I, and you know, at first I didn't think much of it when I first saw this news broke. And then I saw a lot of people getting up in arms about it. And so I kind of started researching it more. This is, like I said, this is classic NASCAR, just completely flubbing up the, the entire decision. But it's almost like they just looked at the roster, didn't look at the tape, and just assumed that that was the guy. You know? Like, like they're just so clueless to, that they don't know that Gibbs is doing this new tire change. Which, you know, I, I think they set the, the record for the fastest pit, pit stop, didn't they? Yeah, something like that. With, so. this, with this new method. So that's good on them. I, I'm curious to see how long it takes other teams to implement that. But, yeah, just just absolute i mean that's that's almost as bad as you know richmond last year when they let him race in the rain like it's just just stupid call after stupid call it's been a while since we had one from nascar so i guess we were due but this was just insane but you know looking at the standings this year chase elliott uh now has a 50 point lead over ryan blaney in the points chase elliott just consistent consistent finally got that win Eight top tens in the first 11 races, as does Kyle Busch. They're leading the way. Bowman, Ross Chastain with seven. Once again, Ross Chastain, he has yet, he has seven top tens. He also has seven top fives. Like he's, he is hit or miss this year. More, most likely hitting or more higher hits than misses. But Ross Chastain, he's in sixth in points. Uh, I think somewhat quietly, Christopher Bell sitting in 10th in points. When it comes to playoff points, though, we have. Um, William Byron leading the way with 13, Chastain with 11. Again, uh, Ryan Blaney, he stayed out, won that stage two at Dover to get that playoff point, so he's up to four, but Chase Elliott seven. Once again, as we talked about last week, though, super just flat across the board when it comes to playoff points, um, you know, with Chase Elliott now getting more. But 
solid 50 point lead that has to have that team feeling good you know we're almost halfway through the the regular season here so 50 points is is a huge amount um again hendrick three of the top five bowman sitting there in fifth anything anything stick out to you i mean not much has changed since dover you know denny hamlin went back a, a spot or two but um i don't think like you know same old story heading into darlington i think yeah i think the the biggest thing for me is i mean look who's on the outside right now austin dillon and tyler reddick those rcr cars are on the mm-hmm. outside of the playoff picture looking in um so they're first and second outside eric jones barely eric jones inside in 14th in points yeah and going to his best track uh so that should be interesting but of course reddick is really good here too at, at darlington so I think I, I you know you, you tell me before the season started uh, if a if eleven races into the year or whatever it is now uh, if if I would have thought a petty car would be leading an RCR car in points uh, I'd have probably said no I wouldn't have said it was impossible but I probably said no and I certainly wouldn't have thought it would be Reddick I thought it would be you know leading Dylan which he is Jones is leading Dylan if I had to pick one but leading Reddick also is a little bit surprising to me. Reddick, man, he's just had such bad luck. Another 30th or worse finish. Uh, he's had finishes of 35th, 24th uh, when he was running so good at Auto Club, but dominating that race, absolutely dominating that race, and then had the flat tire. 28th at Atlanta, uh, 39th at Talladega, and now 30th at Dover. And they've just been bitten by bad luck you know obviously richmond and martinsville weren't super great tracks for him so he had a 12th and 18th at those two but only four like real solid finishes a seventh a third a fifth and a second but now we're going to his best track so you know we should and then kansas he should be pretty strong out as well so we should see tyler reddick possibly crawling his way into inside the playoffs after these next two races but with the way the bad luck has been for those guys, we just don't know. Yeah, it, it kind of goes back to, you know, same old, same old. You know, who were the fastest teams last year? Hendrick and Gibbs. Who's the fastest teams this year? Hendrick and Gibbs. Austin Dillon, Tyler Reddick, RCR is about, this is what they are. This is, they're, they're, they have flashes of good, and then they come down to earth and crash down to earth in other weeks. About the only team I think you could say this year that's made significant gains um, is probably is definitely Trackhouse. You know, Ross, like like we said, Ross Chastain is a championship contender this year. And then you could throw I think you can throw Petty GMS in there. GMS coming into Petty has definitely bolstered that team up uh, a notch. Especially you know they added Ty Dillon as well. Um, that said, 23- I mean look at the, look at the big difference between Eric Jones and Ty Dillon. <laughs> yeah that's true. massive that's massive true. difference between those two 82 points uh 28 playoff or 28 stage points uh 12 places in the standings eric jones is 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 a talent and ty Dillon is not as much a talent uh so you're right they've definitely made some big gains but it, it's largely been for eric jones strictly because of the talent thing one other mm-hmm. thing I wanted to point out, um, you know, as you were talking, you know what team you mentioned Hendrick one and JGR two, but second in the standings is a Penske car, Ryan Blaney. Joey Logano is ninth in the standings, but the and only win, has the win, the only win is from Austin Cindric, and that was the Daytona 500. So essentially, this team is winless 
other than that, you know, other than the Daytona 500, where anybody could almost essentially basically win. And so, yes, Ryan Blaney is second in the standings. Yes, he's maybe had the car to win in several of the first 11 races uh, or near the car to win, but he hasn't won. And Joey Logano hasn't won. You know, Joey Logano has a second, a third, a fifth. Blaney has three fourths and a fifth and a sixth and a seventh. Is Penske down? Is Penske what they always are? What do you think is going on there? I think Penske is what they always are. Because, you know, when it was when it was Kez, Logano, and then Blaney when he was a few years younger, they just don't put up dominating performances, but they end up getting wins at certain points. And this is why... You, you know, you and I talked a lot this last race. I drunkenly, literally, drunkenly went heavy on Blaney at Dover instead of Truex, which I'm still kicking myself for. But I didn't follow my rule. Like Blaney does not get dominator points. He's he's not good at Dover. We talked. You talked about that last week, and I. That is probably that's not going to be the last time I make drunk lineups for DFS. But it's still just irritating. But yeah, I think that's just that's Penske. They. They are the king of kings of. They're going to get some wins, but they're never going to like just go out and dominate a ton. Um, they might have one or two races a year where they're where they're awesome, but um, but it, it is surprising that you know Ryan Blaney he has three poles this year. He's second in points, only has four top fives, which you know is kind of low for how fast that car's been, and. You know, we're we're heading to a track that he's not very good at either. So, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be another another week where, you know, Blaney struggles a little bit. But I, I, I don't think they're down by any means. You know, I think they'll get there. I mean, Logano's going to win one or two races. Blaney, Blaney will win two or three. I think still throughout the season. But, um, but yeah, definitely surprising that that Penske. I mean, like except for the Daytona 500 win, hasn't. Hasn't gotten to victory lane yet. Yeah, and uh, no stage wins for Logano. None. Uh, three, four for Blaney. But Joey Logano still doesn't have a playoff point. That's amazing. I, I, yeah. And, you know, even Blaney having the four, like, that's not a ton. If he, you know, if he slips down into, like, sixth or seventh in points by the end of this and they don't get any wins, like, he could be early knockout of the playoffs Mm -hmm. the surprise early knockout yeah yeah logano bell almarola harvick all of them have zero playoff points right now and then you know 23 11 kurt bush started off so strong this year and he's fallen off a cliff back down to you know 20th points and i think you know we definitely expected that because we talked about it in his early races you know when he finished fifth at phoenix finished third at atlanta uh 13th at, at vegas eighth at fontana he wasn't running well enough to get those finishes. And now, you know, he's had some issues outside of the top 30 and four of the last six races outside of Martinsville. But going to Darlington, Kurt Busch is good at Darlington. Definitely could see a week that and, – and Bubba Wallace actually looked good at Dover. He had yep. an average running position, I think, of like thir- 13th best or something. Yep. Um, if I remember right, like Bubba Wallace looked pretty good. So, uh, yeah, seventeenth average green flag speed, and uh, you know finished finished up there. So, yeah, he looked pretty good. And you mentioned Kurt. Kurt, this is possibly his best track, Darlington. And uh, 
you know, you, you tweeted a little something about the Toyotas, you know, DraftKings, yep. Toyotas. And I know we'll get into Darlington and everything, but there's only six Toyotas. And we say this every week. Uh, Kurt Busch at 13 to one for top Toyota looks pretty nice going into Darlington. I wasn't on Kurt Busch top Toyota. I know, I know Greg ended up betting Kurt Busch uh, top Toyota for Dover, but Dover's not really a Kurt Busch track so much. Um, I still think it's a fine, like it's an okay bet. Uh, you, you've made 14, 13, whatever on Kurt, and I've made some on Bubba like that. It's just when there's only six, you know, if, if everybody had equal odds, then everybody should be five to one, right? Because mm-hmm. then one out of six uh, will be break even. So I certainly don't think Kurt or, or Bubba had equal odds to the other JGR guys at Dover, but I wouldn't say Kurt Busch. It should be significantly worse than an average Toyota driver this weekend. Now, obviously, Truex is great at Darlington. Obvious, Denny Hamlin is good at Darlington. Obvious, you know, uh, Kyle Busch will be just fine. But this is potentially Kurt Busch's best track. And with the parity we've seen this year, Mm -hmm. uh, 13 to 1 is just too long. So that is definitely a bet I'm going to be making. I will probably be Same writing here. it up tonight for an article tomorrow morning. This is us recording Tuesday night. My article usually drops on Wednesdays for um, for for my best like prop bets. So we have, we have a best featured matchup, which came out today, uh, Tuesday today. And my best uh, prop bets will come out on Wednesday. So I think that'll probably be one I write up if, as long as it doesn't move. Yeah. And, and like you said, there's six Toyotas. Kurt Busch's best track. All that takes. Yes, obviously – I understand Truex, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin should be the favorites for top Toyota, and they should be the heavy favorites like they are. But all it takes, you know, if Kurt Busch is a sixth place car on Sunday, and there's and he gets one small change with those other guys on tire strategy or something, he could easily beat them out. Like thirteen to one is just. I think when you have a situation like this, and, and we've done it quite a few times this year. You know, Christopher Bell, Kurt Busch, and even Bubba Wallace, when they get that long, I think you just have to bet them. Like, I'm not putting a ton on it, but is it worth a little, you know, salt based sprinkle? Yeah, I think so. Like, and it's certainly worked out before. I, I hit Kurt Busch top Toyota, I think, at Vegas or something earlier this year. But yeah, get it. Let's get into Darlington because Darlington is one of my, historically, one of my best tracks when it comes to DFS. I love betting it. I love watching it. I love the race here. I love the tire fall off. This is such a unique track. We got the we got the throwback race this week, so we got awesome paint schemes. Have you seen uh, Ross Chastain's paint scheme this week? Yeah, I, I really oh, like man. his paint scheme, uh, and I really like Tyler Reddick's Xfinity paint scheme in that 48 car. If you haven't seen that one, make sure to check Who's? that out. Uh, Tyler Reddick's running the 48 car this weekend. Uh Oh, the will, Xfinity series. I yeah, the Xfinity, Xfinity sponsor. The, I was like, wait. <laughs> no, yeah, in the Xfinity series. And that car looks so good. It's a Bobby Allison throwback. Um, but yeah, I like the the track house Coca-Cola ones as well, which is like a tribute to Dale Earnhardt and Dale Jr. So pretty neat. I haven't seen many paint schemes this week. I did see Ross Chastain's. That looked awesome. Looking at the entry list, Corey LaJoy's car is being uh, sponsored by Stacking Pennies, so that should be a solid. I don't know if that paint scheme's dropped yet, but I'm sure that'll be solid. And uh, this is maybe one of Corey LaJoy's better tracks in terms of quality. He's uh, plus 15.6% at Darlington. A lot of that's fueled by his finish last year, 
but it's still, uh, you know, still a stat there. And he's run several mm-hmm. times at Darlington over the years. Yep. So you talked about uh, your, you know, your favorite prop bet probably going to be Kurt Busch top Toyota. Your favorite head to head this week, which you know you and I talked about as soon as these featured matchups dropped on DraftKings, and and you know I went I went over to Indiana Monday night and uh, bet these uh, bet like I said we're both on Larson six and a half to one. He's since moved to like some books have him at four to one now five to one. Uh, but head to head, they had DraftKings had William Byron minus one twenty versus. Um, Ryan Blaney minus one ten, I believe. Yeah, that's what it was. It's since moved to a minus one forty Byron plus one ten Blaney. Would you still bet that at that? And why do you like Byron over Blaney so much this week at Darlington? Yeah, I I said I would bet it to one fifty minus one fifty, uh, which would basically be like Byron's a sixty percent favorite over Blaney, and that's just simply because Blaney's not good here. Uh, this is Blaney's maybe of all of his bad tracks. We talk about he's not great at Richmond. He's not great at Homestead. He's not great at Dover. This might be his worst of them all. Uh, and he's improved at Richmond over the years. I haven't seen a ton of improvement at Darlington. There's been a little bit for sure. You know, last year I think was maybe one of his better Darlington races. So there could be some improvement here. But at the same time, I mean, William Byron, he won Homestead. He's he's done well at, at Darlington. If you look at Darlington, he's plus 7% on this quality metric, uh, whereas Blaney's minus 16.3%. That's just a massive difference. That's that's so far, so big of a gap there uh, that you, you can't ignore that. And yeah, Blaney's uh, improved, but also Blaney's just improved everywhere. So his improvement relative to his baseline is hasn't been huge, right? Like so, he, I mean, he's one of the best drivers in the series now. We couldn't say that two years ago, even though he was in Penske equipment. So, um, it's only his improvement at Darlington has only kind of been with his improvement as a driver, kind of in line with that. So he's still below his like year to year average by sixteen percent, and and Byron's seven percent above his yearly average uh, at Darlington. So that's just it's a big difference. Byron won at Homestead. He, he's he's good at Darlington, and Blaney's good at neither. Uh, the other correlated tracks. So uh, we'll talk about the correlated tracks. So we got Darlington. Number one correlated track is Homestead. Number two is actually Chicagoland. We won't run there anymore. Number three, Dover. So of the tracks we run at, number one, Homestead. Number two, Dover. We have run at Dover this year, and we can certainly look at past Homestead data as well. Blaney ain't good at any three of these tracks that we're talking about, whether it's Darlington or the top two correlated tracks. And the third most correlated track that we have run at this year is Richmond. He ain't great at Richmond either. Right. Over, he's had 10 career starts here. He has a best finish of eighth. Uh, talking about Ryan Blaney here. He started on the pole for last year's September race here at Darlington. Led 17 laps. That's it. Finished 22nd. Um, and, you know, career-wise, like I said, 10, 10 total starts. He has 66 fastest laps. Just to kind of throw that all into into one big statistic. Um, I'm wishing I would have put more on that uh, head-to-head, but I, I've i said before, you know, this season I'm not – I'm trying not to go as crazy aggressive with bets. Like, yeah, it can be good, but then we could have my 50-unit 
or whatever it was, Ryan Blaney top ten bet fucking miss. <laughs> so <laughs> trying trying to avoid that this year, but um, but yeah, it's uh, you know, definitely I I I was surprised to see that head to head like that, and I think I think part of that I think uh, you know, DraftKings might have been just looking at you know Byron has an average finish of eighteen point five here over the last what four races six races but with that being said like top five two of the last three he had the top he had a solid car here last year like he's much better than his his overall performance um shows here at Darlington but like you said you know Kyle Larson is just insanely good at this racetrack uh has led 120 or more laps in three of the last five races here uh finishes of second 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 third 14th and third Stage finishes, he's finished top five every single time in the last five races. So he's 10 for 10 and top five stage finishes. Now, obviously, this year is not Kyle Larson isn't the same this year as he was last year, but this is a driver's racetrack. You know, tire fall off is so massive here. And another guy that is going to be solid should. And we, you know, we just talked about Joe Gibbs Racing kind of getting their stuff back and getting like this this is the point of year when we see the speed start to move a little bit among teams it look i think i'm not trying to jump the gun here but i think joe gibbs racing might be back to where we expect them to be after getting off to not a sluggish start this season but kind of a rocky start you know Mm -hmm. they were up and down uh dover was definitely promising but martin Truex jr you know he has two wins here at darlington four stage wins in the last three races so he's four for six when it comes to stage wins um definitely him and larson opened as co-favorites did you have any and do you have any because i think truex is still hanging out there about seven to one do you have any interest in betting truex at that number or even you know your boy denny hamlin who's at eight to one um i have more interest in truex i have more interest in truex for a couple reasons so first of all um truex has just had slightly better results than Denny Hamlin. He's led more laps than Denny Hamlin in Darlington races. Uh, Truex is 12.7% better at Darlington than average track, whereas Denny Hamlin's only 9.8%. It's not a huge difference, but it's still something. But when I look at several things, so that quick and dirty model I ran, break even on Truex was almost exactly 7 to 1, right? So 12.5%, 1 out of 8, you need to win. So that's 7 to 1 plus 700. And when I run... A model just based off of his finishes. Again, there's a, a something called a negative binomial distribution that really well approximates finishes. Uh, that gave Truex about a one in six chance of winning, so plus five hundred being even. But that's based off him performing like he used to perform from 2016 to 2021. If JGR is down a little bit this year, you can take that plus five hundred, shift it, you know, to longer odds, and it comes again right around plus seven hundred. So I think plus seven hundred is like. Right at the point where I'm not betting him, but if he drifts beyond that, oh man, I think I would I would take him at like eight to one, eight and a half to one, something like that. If there was some way somehow he drifted, and with all the money that's coming on Larson, it's possible he ends up at eight or eight and a half to one at, at some book somewhere. More than likely, though, what's going to happen is we'll need him to qualify poorly, and then he'll be mm. at eight, ten, whatever to one. And then I'll probably pounce. Maybe 
I'll either pounce or maybe I'll wait to see in race live betting again. So I think it's going to be another one of those situations where yeah, I'm probably waiting to the weekend and or in race betting on Truex. But I do think there's a, a small chance he could drift far enough to be a bet prior to the weekend. And that's the tough thing this season is, you know, we sit here, we record this on Tuesday and, and we have a good idea of who's going to run well. And then we've seen how important practice has been this year. We've seen how important qualifying has been this year, which uh, I have a point to bring up about that. Just a second. Let me finish this first. Um, but then it, it sways your thinking, you know, because Martin Truex Jr., oh, he didn't look great in practice. So maybe, it, yes, I would have loved to get 10 to 1 odds early on in the week, but I don't really want him now because he didn't look great in practice, and we've seen how strongly practice is correlated to in-race. How do you... As a better, do you how like how much does that weigh in your mind? Because I feel like most weeks, you know, when we have these drivers like this that get longer after practice and qualifying that we loved, you know, prior to the cars getting to the track, it's it is it turns into I want to see it in the race and then make the in race bet. Uh, do you think that's the smartest move, or do you still have to kind of pounce on those guys that you you see value with? even though the practice data doesn't really correlate or, or give you a, a good um, confidence boost heading right. into the race. For for me, and I'm going to two-part answer this, as a numbers guy, I will trust my model uh, because I, I feel like I have a really good model, very sharp model. So if it says he's still a bet, even after seeing a poor practice, I would either bet that or, like, like you said, I'll wait and see in-race. And then that... In-race betting, by and large, is only for outrights. Uh, Canby Books had a top three in-race this past weekend. So if I have the opportunity oh, to nice. in-race bet it, uh, I will probably potentially hold off. I might still bet it uh, over the weekend. But I might potentially hold off. Um, but in other markets like Top Toyota or Top Ford or Top 3 or Top 5, Top 10s, you just got to bet it if it's a, if it's a good value bet, right? Because you don't have that in-race opportunity. So I try not to overreact to practice, try not to underreact to practice. I try to trust what my model says about practice for each race, each track. Uh, some tracks practice matters more. Some tracks practice matters less. And, uh, you know, in the end, practice still matters. It certainly has this year. Uh, but there's, there's definitely tracks where it matters more. There's definitely tracks where it matters less. And it's just about finding that right balance and then, knowing the market you're trying to bet anyway. Obviously, I can't wait on a top Toyota to bet it in race. Uh, I also couldn't wait, I think, on, you know, I bet Byron 24, 25, whatever it was, to one this past weekend after he crashed in practice and, and didn't have a qualifying lap or practice lap. I would bet that again, and he was terrible. He wasn't very good. So it wasn't, it didn't end up being a good bet, but I would still bet it again because... 99 times out of 100 or 95 out of 100 the parts car is just as good as as the main yeah. car and you know i think we saw it earlier this year with i don't know if it was kyle bush, kyle bush. the parts car yeah. almost won the race right like at vegas yeah, yeah should have should have well i say truex should have won the race but uh you know it it was either him or truex was gonna win the race until that last caution uh so uh, you know i we're, this was just a case where we were bit by the parts car not being quite as good. Uh, maybe maybe it was also a lack of laps not you know helping Byron. But 
we didn't get a ton of laps in practice for everybody anyway. Yeah, some people made a 20-lap run, but with all those cautions and spinouts and stuff, nobody really got a full strong run uh, or at least maybe only a couple drivers. So it shouldn't have been that much of a detriment to him. So I would bet it again. Uh, and, and the reason I'm talking about it is because that's one that I want to bet right away after practice and qualifying because I knew that was going to go shorter. It wasn't going to last at 25 to 1. I knew it was going to go down to 16 or whatever it ended up being. Uh, and I wanted to be on that 25 because I did think that was value, and I would bet that again. Don't feel bad about the one. The one bet I do feel bad about was uh, Tyler Reddick. I think I made that midweek or something, and he just didn't show up at Dover. So uh, that's that's my bad. I, I maybe got a little too into the Reddick hype, uh, and um, you know, Dover, well, not a bad track for him. It's a good track for him. It's not a Darlington for him. Um, Darlington is is a better track for him. If you look at Tyler Reddick, uh, you know, only in Cup he's five point nine percent better. But if you combine Cup and Xfinity, it's a seven point two percent better track for him. Uh, he was nine percent better in Xfinity, so overall a seven and seven point two five ish percent better track for him. So I think Darlington's a better track for Reddick. Plus, we got him at even longer odds. You know, I got him 22 and then 25 at Westgate versus getting 18 this past weekend mid midweek. So feel better about my Reddick bet this week than last week. And, and that's the one I wish I had back. Uh, like I said before, I want to talk about starting position because I noticed something looking at the race by race results this year. Um, you know, we, we talked about, you know, qualifying's back and given us a good idea of who's fast same with practice i can't i honestly cannot believe this chase elliott starting fourth at dover is the highest qualifier to win a race this year before that it was william byron who started fifth at at martinsville and then chase briscoe started sixth at phoenix uh cindrick started fifth at daytona but we don't need to count that one Every other race this year has been won from somebody starting between 11th and 19th. Yeah. I, I cannot, that, that just kind of blows my mind because it's not like we're seeing super crazy qualifying results, but all the winners are coming from essentially mid pack each week. Yeah. I mean, anywhere from outside of that one fourth place result with Elliot this week, anywhere from fifth to 20th. Right. So, uh, and, and a lot from that nine or 10 or whatever you said, 11 to 20 range. So uh, the, I, the reason this is, in my opinion, is just because how close everybody is this year mm-hmm. with that much closeness. When you have one qualifying lap, there's a lot in more inherent randomness. Uh, you're not seeing the days where we're, where however many years into the gen six car last year, you know, 13, 14, 15, all the way up to 21. We were like eight or nine years in the gen six car. And you had teams like, like Hendrick or, or Gibbs being able to work in these cars for eight years, nine years, and uh, just absolutely dominate practice, qualifying the race. We're not there right now. So we're not going to see necessarily the first, second, third place guys being the super dominant guys. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's just when everything is that close, any little bit of a variance will make it that much harder for the pole sitter to win. And, and, we're getting a year of pretty high variance overall. Still predictable, but with more widespread distributions. So that's played into a lot of these long shots that have hit this year. And and 
that's why I've mostly stayed away from favorites, but I do, like I said, I do think I have to take Larson this weekend. Uh, even with him being air quote down this year compared to last year, he's still mm-hmm. better than his good yeah, nasty stuff. You know what I mean? He's exactly. Than his good nasty days. We're, we're comparing, you know, the races last year where he led 200, 300 laps and it was normal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it, as, as far as everyone being so close, and the way that qualifying is this year, you know, the top 10 speeds get into the final round. If we're seeing the guys starting 11th, 12th, 13th in that range win races, it's because they probably just made one small mistake in, in their first round of qualifying, yep. didn't advance on, and that's all it took for them to get out. Uh, like we said, though, Darlington, there are certain guys that are better at Darlington. Personal, like Personal-wise, DFS-wise, I'm better at Darlington. My best tracks, I've, I've noticed now, because, you know, I keep track of – which tracks I'm tech quote unquote good at. Like like certain drivers are, I believe this is 100% true. Certain drivers are good at certain tracks. I think certain DFS players are good at certain tracks. You look at my biggest ROI tracks, Atlanta, old Atlanta, Kentucky, Chicagoland, Darlington, and then the road courses, high wear tracks. This is, this is where other than I Kentucky. love make, Other than Kentucky. Yeah. 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 I love making lineups for, um, these these high wear tracks just because you know driver talent comes into it, but like I said, drivers have certain tracks that they're better at. There's one guy; he's always been my plug in at Darlington, and I and I know we're very excited to see what he's going to do this weekend. Eric Jones. Mm-hmm. You look at Eric Jones's statistics here before he joined, you know, Petty Motorsports last year, which he still finished 18th in the first race, which was good for them at the time. You look at his Joe Gibbs racing performance here at Darlington. Uh, and even when he was with Furniture Row, fifth, eighth, first, eighth, fifth, fourth. This is Eric Jones's best racetrack. Do you think Eric Jones can win this race? Because 50 to 1, he opened up at Caesars. I believe you bet it. I'm going to head to and bet it here soon, at, probably right after this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, with what we've seen out of Eric Jones, and even last week, like, not a lot of people were talking about Eric Jones last week. He still was running at one point. He was running top five. Like that team is running. Well, does Eric Jones, do you think he has a realistic shot? He finished, ended up finishing 10th. Do you think he has a realistic shot at winning this race on Sunday? Cause I would love to see that. Like I said, I want to see more than 16 winners this year and we're going to need guys like Eric Jones to come through at, 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 non-restrictor plate race or not non-super speeder races i think for this to happen does eric can eric jones do this i mean i bet him i think he can right like uh, i'm not gonna bet something that i don't think can happen and yes and here's why look what he did at auto club he arguably had the best car at auto club another high wear track look what he did at vegas a not terrible but a typically bad track for him you were off of him at vegas and he was running inside the top 10 until he crashed right at the end of the race i I could think Mm -hmm. his crash was the deciding factor in kyle bush losing that race right so uh he he's run well at other you know dover as we talked about he ran great at the road course high tire wear dover high tire wear vegas is of the cookie cutter mile and a half whatever you want to call them tracks the highest tire wear uh, so he's doing well at these high tire wear tracks and Darlington definitely chews up tires. This is his best track. 
uh, 24.8, let's just say 25% better at this track than an average track uh, or any other track for Eric Jones. You know, take the average of all the other tracks, let's say. One of his best tracks. So if he's almost won this year, if he's had some top 10 runs this year, and those weren't even his best tracks, he definitely absolutely can win 50 to one. And this is the other thing that I wanted to say. You got to know your sports books because Eric Jones came out 40 to one at DraftKings. FanDuel copied Mm -hmm. them 40 to one there. And I jumped on Briscoe at 50 to one. And I jumped uh, obviously on Larson at six and a half. Well, the reason I jumped on Briscoe is because I thought he would move pretty quickly because Briscoe is, uh, you know, he's had even more of a chance of winning than Eric Jones this year. He's higher in the standings. He's won a race. He's known for being good at these types of tracks. Uh, Darlington's, Bristol's, uh, Dover's, Homestead's, etc. But Eric Jones, even though he's known for being good at Darlington, people don't think about it as much because, yeah, he's good at Homestead, but not as amazing as Darlington. Yeah, he's good at Dover, but not as, you know, good there. So, uh, and he also just hasn't been as good as Briscoe this year overall. Not bad, but not as good as Briscoe. So I thought I could wait on him. And I know Caesars tends to give longer odds on the mm-hmm. longer shots and shorter odds on the favorites than DraftKings. So I was holding out specifically for William Hill, Caesars, same book, to post. And when they did, I immediately bet Eric Jones 50 to 1 there. That was, and I tweeted a couple people because they were asking, like, should I bet Jones 40 to 1? Or I was like, I'm holding out for 50. And I held out for 50 and I got that. And I held out on Reddick because I saw 20 at DraftKings. And I was holding out for longer on Reddick. I got 22 at William Hill and Caesars. And then Westgate surprised me with a 25 on Reddick. So I bet Reddick again at Westgate. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Briefly talked about this last week because I didn't do it, uh, made a mistake, but um, definitely, you know, always shop around. And like you said, if you follow these, if you not follow, but if you pay attention to these sports books enough, you know how these guys, DraftKings always comes out first. Um, Typically, the other books just go in line with DraftKings and then kind of move the lines as they get action on it. And DraftKings does the same thing. But then, like we've said before, Caesars. They go shorter on the favorites. They go longer on the long shots. And then Bally just, I don't know who's running Bally's book, but I, I cannot wait. I'm like, I'm, I've been refreshing that app. I probably, I, if I looked at my screen time, I probably spent like a full hour on that app today, <laughs> just refreshing it, waiting for top five odds, because I know Eric Jones is going to end up at something super long. And I'm going to immediately run over to Indiana and bet it because they're, Always crazy value there with top fives at Bally Bet, but um, but yeah, yeah let me, like, I want to chime in on that because you know we were talking about them this past weekend for for Dover and they had negative hold. Uh, so for those of you who don't know what hold is, if you take all the odds, uh, let's just say outright odds to win, right? Then and, and you convert them to implied odds. So if a driver is two to one, well then he needs to win one in three times break even. That's thirty three percent implied odds. So if you do that for every driver, it'll add up to more than 100% because the book needs to make money, right? So they're taking their commission or their uh, you know, their rake, essentially. Uh, we call it hold in the betting world. DraftKings is usually around 30 35%. Circa is always at 15%, which I love about them. Um, and, and another thing about Circa is if 
they move a driver short, they're going to move other drivers long to stay at that 15%. Other books don't do that. If, if Larson gets hammered, they'll just move him shorter. Occasionally they'll move somebody like they did with, with Truex. They'll move them longer just to take some bets there uh, to reduce their liability. But a lot of times they'll just move a driver shorter and not adjust anybody else. So you want books that do adjust. So they stay at the same hold, but uh, negative hold means if you add up the win probabilities uh, for outright and it came out to like 95%, then there's just like 5%. That's like, okay, that's, that's free money. You're basically making 5%. If you bet every driver at the correct si- bet sizing, you'll be guaranteed to make money. Uh, and, Ballybet had negative hold. It was something like negative 50%, because right, because in a top five market it has to add up to 500 percent because there's five drivers and hundred percent of the time there will be a finisher one through five. So hundred percent there'll be somebody in position one, hundred percent in position two, hundred percent somebody will be finished in position three. We don't know who, but it will. So that adds up to five hundred. Well, I calculated it at like I think it was like 455% or something. This was like negative 40 or negative 45%. I don't remember the exact number hold. So if you bet every single top five at the right sizing, you could have guaranteed like a, uh, you know, a a profit of 45% on 500. So essentially a 10% ROI. And and that's just silly. That's like you said, free money. I mean, if you, if you have the money to do it, the the bad thing about the only bad thing I'll say about Bally bet is that they limit your top five, Bad and not so bad because it helps me, but they limit your win to $500 on top right. five bets. So, you know, if, if you're getting like crazy long odds, like 30 to one or something, like you can only put what, like 15 bucks on it or something. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, like uh, Bally Bet's quickly becoming my new favorite sports book to use. And I hope they don't destroy it like we've seen DraftKings do, like we've seen, like FanDuel sucks now, in my opinion. Um, it's yeah but um but yeah darlington so another guy on your list of drivers that are significantly better here than they are at normal racetracks is kurt bush we talked about him um briefly do you think kurt bush could get to victory lane for the first time this year or is he going to be like his typical self about a top five contender maybe depending on what kind of car they bring that, that's a really good question. I think uh, it's probably going to be closer to something like a top five, top six contender. They just have, I mean, they haven't run as well as somebody like an Eric Jones, right? Uh, over the course of this year and the results show he's 20th in the standings. Eric Jones is 14th. Now finishing position doesn't say everything, but Kurt Busch only has 15 stage points. Eric Jones has 37. It's like double that. Uh, Kurt Busch, when he has finished well, especially early in the year, sort of, I wouldn't say lucked his way, but consistencyed his way into those third, fifth, eighth place finishes. He wasn't like a third or a fifth or an eighth place car. Whereas Eric Jones was a winning car at Auto Club. He was uh, potentially a winning car at Talladega and finished sixth. And obviously that's different, but he was a a top 12 car at Dover, finished 10th. Certainly a top 12-ish car at Vegas, right? So Eric Jones has been a little lucky too, but he's shown bigger flashes of upside than Kurt Busch. So I'd rather have Eric Jones at 50 to one than, than Kurt Busch at 50 to one, for example, if, if, if you were able to find Kurt Busch at 50 to one, and I haven't looked at every single odds here, but uh, uh, just, just first of all, Kurt Busch is good here, but he's only 16. And I say only 16.3% better 
That's third among all drivers, but Eric Jones is 25% better. It's a 9% gap. That's you know, pretty big. So uh, mm-hmm. I would just much rather have Eric Jones more upside this year and a little bit better at Darlington uh, relative to his career stats at other tracks. So I think I'd rather just go Eric Jones at 50. And if Kurt Busch beats me, so be it. You know, maybe he's a good top five or a top 10 bet, depending on all what you can get. Like maybe a Bally bet, for example, top five, Kurt Busch would be a great bet. Mm-hmm. Um, and going back to Eric Jones briefly, you know, these DFS sites, they tend to just run off of betting odds and that's how they set the, the salaries, which means I'm thinking like I can already start writing my DraftKings article and I'm just going to throw Eric Jones in there because he's going to get priced in the low $7,000 range this weekend. And even if he qualifies, I'd say even if he qualifies top 10, I would still just plug him in. That's that's how much I like Eric Jones this weekend. Um, any other guys? You know, Brad Keselowski's had, had success here at Darlington in the past. He's that, you know, Roush Fenway Keselowski racing has shown better speed here lately. Is Keselowski a potential sleeper this week? You know, he does have a win here back in 2018. Uh, other than that, you know, he's about he's been about, you know, fifth to ninth place car for most of the races. Uh, and of course, that was in Penske equipment. He doesn't have Penske equipment this year. But, um, you know, is, is Keselowski one of those guys that could once again, because I feel like people still aren't they're starting to warm up to Keselowski, but they're still not on him uh, because he's not showing the race winning potential. But he's showing the, hey, I can sneak into the top 10. I can sneak into the top five. And if nothing goes wrong, I can finish there, too, because that's the kind of speed they're having. You know, Chris Buescher, I think, finished top 10 after winning the pole at Dover last weekend, I believe. So, yeah, he finished eighth. You know, he had, he had a solid race. Yeah, uh, I would rather have Keselowski's teammate, Chris Buescher. Very equal equipment, right? Very good at high wear tracks last year. Like mm-hmm. surprisingly very good at high wear tracks last year. He dominated part of that homestead race before falling off late. Uh Darlington is, you know, a seven uh, percent better track for him, whereas Keselowski it's only a two percent better track. That's not bad, but that is still a five percent difference. It, it does make me, since they're in equal equipment, like Busher a little bit more. Then you throw in Homestead and Busher what he did last year. I think I like Busher a little bit better than Keselowski. Now, obviously, Keselowski has the 100-point penalty, but if you take that away, he's 20 points ahead of Busher in the standings, but 17 of that is is stage points, so they're almost essentially equal uh, in terms of their performance this year. Busher uh, wrecked at Auto Club, so we can't really look at his, but Keselowski was... Um, 27th at auto club i don't know if he had any issues there either but I, I it's it's one of those things you know busher looked really good at dover uh he finished eighth he wasn't an eighth place car maybe i mean he kind of hung out in the top 10 the whole race right he qualified the pole he didn't fall off the lead lap keselowski was doing fine uh he wasn't as good as busher but he was doing fine he was hanging out in the, maybe in that eighth through 15th place spot the whole day uh but he got caught on that pit sequence and ended up lap down that's why he finished 20th but Busher was just a little bit better at Dover for me. And it's the closest comp we have right now this year to Darlington that I think I'd rather have Busher than Keselowski. Um, you know, I think Keselowski's win, he had Paul Wolf then, and, and obviously he was at, he was at Penske, but uh, I feel like he 
if I remember correctly, he like lucked into his win. Uh, yeah, he stole the win from Larson that year. You know, I mean, obviously, if you steal a win from Larson, you're still good. But it, you know, he definitely wasn't the race winning car. Uh, that was a race Larson should have won when Kazowski won it uh, at Darlington. So, um, I think I'd rather a Busher, and it's it's still close though. But I, I definitely am eyeing Chris Busher this weekend in tournament formats and. Uh, Potentially, maybe in some like top ten or, or top Ford markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he finished ninth in both races here last year, and that's including he started thirty fourth in the second race. So, like I said, he he crushed uh, high wear tracks last year. I think he had, I want to say he had like the fifth best average finish, and he was up there in average running position as well on high wear tracks last year. Like Busher was good, and and yeah, definitely someone to keep an eye out for this weekend. Uh, Talked a little bit about head-to-head bets. Have you seen anything else, any other head-to-heads that kind of stick out to you as great values? Because I know I was doing a little bit of searching. You know, I was kind of trying to find some more with Ryan Blaney and I didn't see a ton that I, I really liked. Um, you know, DraftKings has Eric Jones versus Chris Busher, which I, you know, I don't think there's enough there to, to really warrant a bet. Um, anything that you see out there that – Chase Briscoe minus 125 over Christopher Bell. Is that worth a bet? Um, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think I think Briscoe 125 over Bell uh, is probably worth a bet. Uh, Briscoe is so much better than Bell at these types of tracks. Bell is minus 9.3% at Darlington in Cup. If you pull in his Xfinity stats as well, he's minus 10.2%. Uh, at Darlington, not amazing at Homestead either. Uh, so, you know, even though he had a good Dover, Dover is the best of his three tracks uh, of, you know, the, the, the steep tracks that are correlated. Dover's the best. So I think I'd rather have Chase Briscoe minus 125 or Christopher Bell. I think the price maybe should be a little more tilted towards Chase Briscoe. Another one I'm looking at Austin Dillon minus 105 over Daniel Suarez. Uh, Austin Dillon can do well at these types of tracks. Uh, he can he can show up there and be there at the end. If you remember Auto Club, both he and Suarez were fighting for the lead, but Dillon was better than, than Suarez by a little bit. Uh, I think Dillon plus 3% at Darlington, whereas Suarez is minus 5.2% at Darlington. So I think Austin Dillon should be favored over Suarez and maybe my, by more like minus 115, 120 instead of minus 105. This seems like a good time to remind people that um, when you're betting head-to-heads and it's like minus 110 and like anybody that you follow and they say they're putting two units on it and then like if they win, they say they're up two units and if they lose, they say they're down two units. That's not how this works. To be up two units on a minus 110 bet, you'd have to put down 2.2 units. Or if you put down two units, you're only up 1.8. So... Just a quick little reminder for people, please be fucking transparent with your betting because a lot of people aren't. Anyway, uh, that's my rant for the week. Um, another matchup, another matchup, yeah, very short rant. Uh, another matchup that kind of just catches my eye, and I don't know if there's any value here, but Truex plus 125 over Larson. I know we like Larson a lot to win this race, but is there value in betting Truex head-to-head against him at that plus 125? Because I always like matchups 
where it's plus 120, plus 125 always sticks out to me. You know, it, especially when they're like, this isn't like, this isn't Kyle Larson versus uh, Alex Bowman or something like that. Like, these are two of the best at this track. It, it, it reminds me last year when it was on a lot of road courses, they'd put Truex versus Elliott and they'd put Truex at plus 120. And I bet that a lot because they're not that far apart. You know, is that is Truex plus 125 worth a bet there against Larson? It uh, looks like that's on DraftKings. You know, they have Larson as the minus 150 favorite there. Yeah, I'd have to run the numbers, but I certainly think it could be. Uh, and to clarify, I need to run the numbers on Austin Dillon versus Daniel Suarez. I need to run the numbers on Chase Briscoe versus Christopher Bell. Yeah. I haven't run my we, full simulation we model. We're we just kind of spitballing. Yeah, we're just I, spitballing. I think the only, one, the only one we've bet is that uh, Byron minus 120 over Blaney. Absolutely. And, and so we're spitballing right now. But in terms of the direction you want to look, yeah, that's possible uh, that we could be betting um, – you know, Larson versus Truex bet the plus 125 side on Truex. Now, if we look strictly at laps led at Darlington, uh, it's about Larson 60%, Truex 40%, which would translate to minus 150 plus 150 break even. But that would be strictly on laps led. Obviously, finishes rebound a little bit, you know, the, the rubber band effect bring him closer to 50 50. Otherwise, Larson probably went on around 30% of his Darlington races and he hasn't. So there's a little rubber banding effect, not rebound, rubber band effect there where it kind of brings things back towards the middle. So it's possible 125 is value on Truex. I haven't run my full simulations. Uh, I do have that Larson's around, like I said, 17.5% to win, whereas I have Truex is around 12.5% to win. So if we went by those numbers, I could quickly uh, fudge some math here. So... That totals 30%, so 17.5 divided by 30 could be about 58% Larson uh, to 60 or to 42% Truex. So not quite, again, plus 1 in 25, but these are all ballpark spitball numbers based off of win probabilities, not off actual finishing probabilities. So uh, it's one to keep an eye on, and when I run my full model, if I see it's like, you know, it should be like 52, 48 Larson, then yeah, I would bet it. So definitely one to keep an eye on. Uh, speaking of, you know, we talked about similar tracks that compare well to Darlington. What are the top metrics this week that go into a good Darlington driver? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, my model spit out three metrics and they're ones you would think, you know, they're, they're not, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's a little weird. You, you, you're, you're like, really like 20 two thirds is uh year to date history, not track history. And then other times you're like, Oh yeah, track history makes sense. Well, in this case, there's three things. Uh, number one is track quality. So this, this quality metric I've been talking about the percentage higher or lower they are at Darlington than the average of all over tra- other tracks. So track quality is super important at Darlington. Number two and three are basically tied uh, and that would be similar track performance. I'm using driver rating in this case because that's what spit out as the best is just raw driver rating. So not quality, not like above or below, you know, in terms of average tracks, just use the guy's driver rating. Uh, and if you can team adjust it or equipment adjust it, that's better. So 
driver rating at steep tracks, mainly Dover and Homestead, in addition to Darlington. Uh, and then year-to-date performance. So the reason year-to-date performance matters because, well, they've all been in the same equipment this year. It's Petty equipment, right? We're not looking back to last year where Petty wasn't as good last year. We're looking at year-to-date performance. Uh, and, and I don't say team performance. Like, I'm not pulling in Ty Dillon for Eric Jones's results. I'm not pulling Eric Jones for Ty Dillon results where you can do that a little earlier in the season to get a better estimate of equipment because early in the year, it's hard to know exactly where things stand. Now we've had enough races. We're at the point in the year where we know how the drivers are. We're 11 races into the season. Every driver has had six non DNF finishes. So we can, you know, six finishes gets us 90% of the way there to knowing the true year long performance. So, at this point in time, we're using year-to-date performance. Uh, I'm using driver rating at the correlated tracks, and I'm using this quality metric that I have for Darlington, which is the number one metric. Uh, overall, it makes up about 40%, and then the other two make up about 30% each. Uh, so that totals 100%. This is like it's like 42% Darlington, 29%, and 29% uh, year-to-date and correlated tracks. We have, let me see here, uh, trying to find. So we got morning practice this weekend on Saturday. Morning practice and qualifying starting in, uh, on Saturday. And then the race in later afternoon. So we're going to be going from 3.30. It's probably going to start about 3.45. 400-mile race. You know, this could – will this end under the lights? And This time of year I always get a little, you know – it's going to end up a little like they're going to turn on the lights by the end of this thing. My point being here, the racetrack is going to change on Sunday and it's going to come down to the teams that can make the good adjustments. How, how do we determine which teams are better? Cause I feel like we haven't had any races that have been like this yet. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, this is one that it's going to be a transition race like you said, and it's going to transition from afternoon, excuse me, afternoon to nighttime. It is only 400 miles instead of 500. So it's not going to go super deep into the darkness, but if it's a three hour race, that's still going into six 30 You're getting in the twilight there. So it is going to cool off a little bit. If we look at cup practice, it's at 10 30 AM. That's actually going to be maybe not the worst approximation for six 30 PM in terms of temperatures, mm-hmm. sunlight, etc. cetera. Uh, so I think practice could tell a lot about the end of the race. And if we're looking to live bet and uh, things like that, I'm, I'm very curious. And this is where I wish we had like multiple practice sessions. Who's hotter in the day? Who's hotter? Uh, who's slower in the day? Who's, who's better in the evening? And uh, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, Cause that was definitely an angle you could always take uh, and do well. But I think there's a chance practice could be indicative of who's good at the end of the race. Now, that said, you don't want to fall behind early in the race uh, too much. So teams will have to adjust. But I do think practice could be indicative of more of the end of the race than the hottest part of the day, 3.30 in the afternoon. I think one guy that always, or one team that always pops in my head when it comes to being able to adjust and make the car better as the day goes on, they were excellent at it. Last season, 
Kyle Larson and that mm-hmm. five team. They it, they either last year, like like I said, we're going back to last year, but they either hit it from the beginning and just completely dominated the whole race, or they were like a top five car and then kept adjusting, kept adjusting, and then second half of the race is when he took over. Um, so I think that that angle plus his track history, like I am, I'm getting so confident that Kyle Larson is going to win this race on Sunday. Like, I, and I, I, like I said, I don't, I don't like being on that. We've talked about all year that Kyle Larson isn't the same Kyle Larson. Just talked about uh, Kyle Larson being almost the highest owned in DraftKings yet again this weekend, despite the fact that he has yet to perform in it. But this just, it just feels like the week. I, I don't know how to explain it. This feels like the Kyle Larson week. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, we talked about this, but here's why. Like, Kyle Larson at Ganassi, what did he do at this track? He had a, a race where he led 124 laps. He had a race where he led 284 laps. He had a race where he led 45, a race where he led 44, right? So if you average those, just those four races, which, you know, came in 16, 17, 18, and 19, which is the time frame we're looking at, because 14 and 15, not looking at that time frame, higher down force, et cetera. Uh, but also it was his first and second year with the team. But as he improved as a driver, year three and on is where we're talking about with Redick. We've talked about with Larson in past shows. Uh, he averaged 124.3 laps led. He finished third, third, second, and 14th. Uh, but, you know, that was the race. The 14th place finish was the race. He led 124 laps, had 34% of the fastest laps. Just just absolutely bonkers stuff. He finished a lap down. Uh, so I'm guessing there was some kind of issue. And then with Hendrick, he finished second and second, right? So we're talking since 2016, he finished third, third, second, 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 and 14th. But that 14th was with Ganassi, and and there was an issue there. So I don't care if he's not as good this year compared to last year with Hendrick, because he's still better than he was with Ganassi in 1918, 17, 16, right? So if he's finishing third, third, second, Dominating, dominating, dominating with Ganassi. I'm still confident that he will be right there with Hendrick, uh, even in a slightly down, you know, air quote down year compared to last year. So I'm really curious. You mentioned this a lot. I'm curious where Circa comes out with Larson this week. Dude, I was checking uh, when we were talking about Ballybet. Uh, I was checking Circa, and I'm super curious as well because we talk about how they're incredibly sharp. They also give incredibly fair lines. They, they only hold 15%, and they'll adjust it to keep it at 15%. They don't limit people to like $5 on a bet. They'll Everybody has the same limit, uh, period. They don't care if you're a pro or you're an amateur First time betting ever, they'll limit everybody to the same bet. Amazingly professional book, amazingly accurate lines, in my opinion. Very curious what they will do with Larson because they've tended to go longer on Larson or on the favorites this Mm -hmm. year, and they've been right. But I wonder if this is the week that, you know, they open in line with the market or even maybe even shorter than the market on Larson. I kind of hope they do. That make me feel good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I got. I don't really have anything else for Darlington. 
this week? Darlington's like, one of those tracks where it's we know who's going to be good. We know it's it's a very unique, like we said, track. It's a, a track history matters. Correlated tracks matter, yes, certainly. Dover and 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 obviously Homestead matter. So just focus on that, and you'll know who's generally speaking going to be good. Don't overreact to practice, uh, but it certainly can give you an idea. Maybe if uh, you know somebody like a Kevin Harvick, we haven't talked about Harvick or Logano. Those are two drivers I want to talk about. Harvick, yeah, Harvick has is, a very good track history here. Harvick's really good here, uh, and he's ten. 0.9% better in my metric for for Darlington. Very good here. Uh lots of great results. So, but he's one that you know, I thought he was going to be good this past weekend at Dover and he just the Fords just sucked. Uh Yeah. So, it was a little puzzling. It wasn't a Harvick thing, it was just Ford in general wasn't as good as I expected them to be. And then speaking of Fords, Joey Logano, even though he's this is basically an average track for him. If you look at his finishes here, especially since uh, 2016, I'm, I'm pulling them up right now, so just give me one second. He's finished 8th, 3rd, 6th, and 2nd, uh, and 5th, right? So he has like a 2, 3, 5, 6, 8, and then some, you know, some finishes in the teens. So he has the potential to finish up front. He won at Homestead in 2018, he had like a, a third and a fourth or whatever at, at Homestead as well. So like Logano is a guy who can finish very well here. He doesn't tend to dominate here. Uh, yep. or, or so it's the old Penske thing. But you know, he can. Looking at. Yeah. Logano's overall history here. He only has two races with a driver rating o- over 104. Yep. Which, you know. But still that's... super consistent. Super consistent here. Even his worst finishes are like 13th, 14th, right? And then two 18ths. So one of those guys where I wouldn't count him getting dominator points, but he has the potential for a top five finish, no doubt. Uh, So I'm very curious how he will practice because if he practices well, then I definitely want to be on him Um, because I don't think people will be on him because we'll be looking at the true X's, the Larson's, the, Etc. Uh, so, uh, a driver that to me practice is going to really matter for him, and I think also Kevin Harvick. One guy who he should have a win here, but he's never really put up. Another guy that hasn't put up great performances, career best uh, driver rating ever was one hundred six point seven back in twenty twenty. He has two top fives and 10 starts, and that's last week's winner, Chase Elliott. Is Chase Elliott just not good here, or has he ran into quite a bit of bad luck? I think it's mostly bad luck. This is close to an average track for him, uh, minus 1.6%. He potentially could have uh, won one of those Darlington. There were three Darlington races in 2020. Potentially could have won one of those. So... I'm chalking up a little bit to bad luck, a little bit to it's just it's, kind of an average track for him. You know what I mean? I think that that was the race that him and Truex got together, right? Battling for the lead. Yeah, something like that. Was it Truex right. or was it Kyle Busch? I think got him maybe. Can't remember. But uh, One of those two. One of those two. And then, you know who we haven't talked about? We haven't, ta- we haven't talked about Ross Chastain. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but I'm at this metric. Chastain's only 4.7% better. But he also has a small sample size. So if you pull in Xfinity, 
where he has a, a solid sample size in Xfinity as well, he was 23.8% better in Xfinity. If you combine that with 4.7% better in Cup, then overall, he's 13.3% better at Darlington than an average Finished third. Yeah. Finished third here last year with Chip Ganassi. Yeah. I wouldn't. I, and I am betting him at 14 to 1. I am going to track that in the action app as soon as we finish this podcast. You are. Uh, you That just got you. Ross Chastain, 14 to 1. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, my model, my quick and dirty model had him right on the borderline, but I ran a more sophisticated model today. And actually looking at it, uh, it gives Ross Chastain. Give me one second. I feel like right now you just can't bet against him. It gives Ross Chastain an average of around a 15, 15.5% chance, which means he should be in the single digits. Now, I haven't adjusted uh, everything to 100%, so um, I think everything's adding up to over 100%. But my point is he probably should be at worst like 10, 11, 12 to 1, and he's 14 to 1 right now at DraftKings. So I think I'm you know, going to put some money on Ross Chastain. I need to, I need to calculate how much because I have – Money on Larson outright. I have money on Briscoe. I have money on uh, Jones, and I have money on um, Reddick. Right, so I just need to figure out what unit size I want to go so that I am able to maximize my profits, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I will be betting Ross Chastain as soon as we uh, finish this podcast. And that that brings up a point, and I I wouldn't be surprised if we got this question if I didn't bring it up. Is this the most outright bets you've made on a race this year? And if so, why? Just because there's so much value on the board? Yeah, uh, I think I, I don't think it's the most I've made. I think maybe a super speedway probably takes the cake on that. Yeah, uh, true. Potentially Dover this past weekend, just because of the the value on. No, it wasn't Dover. I think I only had three or four. But there's just there's a lot of value here. Um, Books have not adjusted enough for these guys like Briscoe, for these guys like Reddick, for these guys like Chastain. Uh, I think overall they started adjusting because these guys were getting better, but they were adjusting not necessarily at their best tracks. And then they have a couple bad races and they adjust them down. And then we go to their good tracks. And it's like, they're, they're like chasing a little bit. They're, they're almost recency biasing, biasing themselves. The books are. And so now that Reddick's had a couple bad races, now that Briscoe hasn't been a, you know, a, a winner, it's funny. We say bad races, but like they both did really well at Bristol dirt, but th- it seems to be a lot of recency bias, even in the market. And it's like, why? Like Briscoe's good. Reddick's good. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why Chastain's 14 to one. Now that I think about it and look at it, um, that's pretty incredible. Obviously, you know, 50 to one versus 14 to one, the 50 is going to catch your eye a lot more. And that makes sense. Uh, that's why I jumped all over Briscoe right away. And I didn't jump on Chastain because he opened at 14 or whatever it was on DK. Uh, and I was looking for, even though I was looking for Ross, I saw 20 on, on Reddick and I saw 50 on Briscoe and 40 on Jones opening. Uh, then we got better on Jones and Reddick. But uh, so I think it kind of just ignored Ross. And now that I look at it, my model my, my more sophisticated model, not the one I ran quick and dirty yesterday, gives Ross around a 15%. And then again, I need to scale that. So it'll probably be around a 10% chance of winning. 
which would be nine to one, ten to one break even ballpark, and he's fourteen to one. Wouldn't that be that would be crazy if Ross Chastain wins on Sunday? I'd give him three wins for the year. Meanwhile, Ryan Blaney, Martin Truex Jr., Joey Logano, Christopher Bell, Kevin Harvick would be combined zero, and Ross Chastain would be at three. That would be oh, I want to see it so bad. But yeah, like you just you cannot bet against this guy right now. He is the they're too good. Yeah, everywhere, even the tracks that like Dover wasn't a great track for him. And what do you do? He he, I think he had a race winning car. Mm-hmm. He really messed up. Like Chase Elliott picks the one time ever to have a good restart, and that's why Chastain you know lost it there at the end. If if but, people look at finish for Chastain, uh. They're going to be completely misled in the Xfinity series uh, is what I'm talking about. He finished second, which is great though. They might look at that one and see that. And he had an average, he had a driver rating that race of 124. His season long driver rating is 104. So essentially 20% better that race. Let's say 120 versus 100 is 20% better. Uh, he finished eighth in that same year, 2020. They had two Xfinity races at, at Darlington. Uh, and he had a driver rating 106.7, which is, again, better than the 104 season-long driver rating. But if you go prior to that, that second and eighth place finish, he had a 25th place finish with Ganassi. But he led 90 laps, 24 fastest laps. And we're talking, you know, in a race that was only 147 laps. He led 90 laps. Uh, yeah. Had a 25th place finish. So, obviously, I haven't watched it, but there's clearly some sort of thing that happened. He had a driver rating of 121.5. Versus a, a year-long driver rating in the 80s for Ganassi. And then before that, in 15 and 17, he ran for Johnny Davis uh, at, at Darlington. Driver ratings of 78 and 80, but that's better than the 65 driver rating he had each year uh, in 15 and 17 with Johnny Davis. Almost exactly the same driver rating both years with that team. Uh, so, again, just 20% better Uh almost consistently across the board at Darlington. Um, there was one race who was only a little bit better, and then there was one race who was 50% better, but that averages out to basically 20% better. So you combine that with his 5% better in Cup, his third place finish, like you said, last year for Ganassi. Trackhouse has improved this year compared to last. They're, they're especially with Chastain, one of the best teams in Cup right now. 14-1, uh, to 1, I think... I just think it has to be a bet right now with the way Ross is driving and how good he is at this track. And if you extend it to Homestead, we see similar things as well. And you looking at his cup history here, you know, he has three dud performances, but he was in shit equipment. So him finishing 28th in both races with premium motorsports is actually very good. Like that car was absolute junk. Mm hmm. So the fact that he was able to finish 28th is solid. He finished 29th with Spire in the 77 in 2020. That car was junk at that time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm with you there. Like, I that might be another. I might be with you. Like, at this point, I feel like I'm just following, like, every bet that you make. But I, it's it all makes too much sense, you know, because Chastain, like I said, you cannot bet against him this year. And it, I don't I don't see that speed toning down at any point. Right. We, we have to consider him one of the elite drivers right now. He he has tied for the most wins. He has the most top fives. Uh, 
basically if he doesn't have a basically if he doesn't have a problem he's finished top five right like seven lead lap finishes seven top fives yeah (laughs) yeah if he doesn't have a problem he finishes top five and this is arguably one of his better tracks i wouldn't say his best but certainly one of his better tracks he's won two out of 11 races that's you know one out of every five and a half so plus 450 would be break even uh if you just went off his win rate this year and we're getting him 14 on That is a live in podcast revelation of a fourteen to one bet. You guys just heard it here on Stacking Denny's this week. Um, but yeah, speaking of, uh, or not even speaking of, but random fancy racing. Doc blocked. Who who was Doc oh. blocked last week? Oh yeah, uh, we had AJ Allmendinger Doc blocked. I have not made my pick this week, so we should do that live on air as well. But I had AJ Allmendinger. Remember, uh, he had a tire fall off. I think they got uh, four race suspension for their crew chief and two crew members. Uh, not having the the wrong crew member issue there because you know they're pitting the old way. But uh, AJ Allmendinger. So should I go ahead and make my pick now? Yep, click it. All right. H- have you made yours yet? That's what I also want to know. I did, and I think I got shit. Who did I get? Uh, I got number seventeen. So I got. Boucher. Ooh. Well, at least it's uh, not the Jordan Jinx. But uh, yeah, so Larson's Larson's a Jordan Jinx this week. Gosh, dang it. I put two units on him. <laughs> well, as long as uh, it, you know one of my other drivers comes through, then I'll be okay. All right. Clicking it right now. My random fantasy pick. The three of Austin Dillon. Ooh. I think this is the third time I've had him this year. Um, how did he do in the other races? That that's had that's what I'm checking right now. So, uh, standings. Let me go find me. Doc. No, this is uh, this is the first time I've had him this year. It was last year I had him a couple times. Last year I had him a couple times. First time this year I've had Austin Dillon. Dude, you remember I started out like getting kind of these like good finishes. I had a sixth place finish with, with Rowdy Bush at the Daytona 500, even though he had an issue, he was caught up in a crash or something. And then Gilly Gang had a problem, but still ended up finishing 20th. And then we won with Alex Bowman at Las Vegas. Had a, a solid finish with Almarola at Phoenix, but that's kind of where it started turning around because – Almiral only finished 12th at Phoenix. And I say only because we expect him to finish in the top 10 at these short flats, right? Since then, it's been pretty much a graveyard uh, of just disaster. (laughs) With the exception of Chase Briscoe finishing ninth at Martinsville, which was a pretty big surprise. It's been back to the old Doc Block ways. That's awesome. Uh, I, I was looking up what, what's this called? The um, racing underdogs. Is this the award to the random fantasy participant who scored the fewest points and started every race? Yeah. So Cam Daddy Caves, I think. Just awful performance after awful performance. So last uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight races. 29th, 32nd, 36th, 33rd, 32nd, 39th. <laughs> 
37th, 32nd. Holy crap. Like, and <laughs> it's not like he's getting stage points either. Uh, if you look at the total points, I mean, it is abysmal. Abysmal. And the last two races, he's gotten Logano. <laughs> and he has Busher this weekend. Oh, and you're on Busher too. Oh, this is the new doc block. This is this is the caved in Cam Daddy Caves pick. Oh man. That uh there's there's another one super the the guy the next guy. Um 33rd, 39th, 20th, 29th, 35th. Like <laughs> I don't see how these people keep keep uh keep playing. Like I I, I can't play. I finished I think I finished 6th last year at the Underdogs Cup. I barely missed the top 5. I think I finished 6th out of, you know, like a thousand people or whatever it was. So, I was in the top like 0.6% of being the worst at random fantasy. So, very glad that I am if you look at the overall standings this year, I'm in 735th place. And if you look at the racing underdogs, how many people have run 957? And I am in 387. So I'm slightly below average this year for people who've played or who've done every race. I'm about six, you know, bot, uh, I'm, Below average, so I'm in like that 35, 40th percentile range. Um, so we're getting back to the old Doc Block ways. I definitely don't think I'm going to pull off the finish I had last year in terms of absolute crapness. But we're, we're starting to trend that direction again after a nice hot start to the year somehow. Uh, let me look at you. You are in 745th place in the racing underdog. Uh, 957. So you're having a pretty good year here. Yeah, I'm in 241st in uh overall. In the overall, yeah. I've my last uh my last six races I've had ninth, fifteenth, tenth, ninth, eighteenth, and fifth. Yep. Greg Nathern, six hundred thirty second place, so ahead of me. Uh I fantasy race. He's only done ten races, he missed one race. But is actually Ryan's been awful. <laughs> but has been doing worse than me potentially. If he had that one race that he ran, maybe he'd be ahead of me. But yeah, we've been pretty in line. Let me look at he has an average finish of twenty point one. I have an average finish of eighteen point four. So yeah, worse than me, an average finish. Uh so uh, of some of the uh you know the the crew here. A few of you are doing well, but by and large, we're not doing too hot. You're you're the one doing the best. Love to see that. Love to see that. I'm still hanging out in the top 10 in the Influencer Cup standings. So keep clicking my links to make your pick, uh, and I might finish in the top 10 in the Influencer Cup this year. Man, who is the guy that's first? Like, he's first by... Bazillions. 120... Man, yeah. oh, it looks like he's a uh, um, what's, that, what's it called? I racing guy mm, makes sense. And a lot of these people that are up here are pretty big names. Bar Visuals does a lot of photography for uh, the Cup Series. Lost Schemes, I think, maybe does some some you know, scheme creating. Uh, Kenseth Fan seventeen twenty, I think, is a big Twitter influencer. 
obviously the orange cone is one of those like uh, kind of like NASCAR chasm, one of those funny guys on Twitter. Uh, mm-hmm. Lefty Designs is in tenth place. Does a lot of uh, d- car designs as well as ha- actually had some car designs run on track over the past couple years. Uh, NASCAR and Reddit is eleventh. So obviously Reddit. <laughs> um, Racing hey, Underdogs thirteenth. Yeah, you're in twenty seventh. Nice. 27th is my favorite number. Well done. So there's some big names up here. Um, Ryan Eversley, Cassie Fambro, uh, Mern, M-E-A-R-N. Uh, these are all names that are like pretty big. Joe Srigley Sh- is uh, a reporter for uh, Toby Christie. He's right behind you in 28th. So there's some names up here. But stop clicking Jordan's link. Click my link. Okay, people? <laughs> <laughs> I need to I need to win this influencer cut. No, I'm... I'm not even close to the 410 points that wind vow has, but uh, I I think I have a realistic shot at the top five. Yeah. Yeah. Get that, get that Denny Hamlin finish that, you know, last place in the championship race, but top five in the race overall. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That's what I'm going for. I I mean, I have my Denny, I have my Denny Hamlin hat on because, you know, he's number 11 and, Shout out to my dog. It's his 11th birthday today as we record this. Jordan, your birthday was Monday, as we talked about. Also was Kyle Busch's birthday. Uh, I feel like I might have remembered that in the past, but I forgot it. So once again, happy belated. I know I told you happy birthday on Twitter the day of uh, yesterday, but uh, happy birthday again. Happy birthday to Rota Dog. You two are one day apart. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow is Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. May the 4th, yep. Um, technically right now is May the 4th, according to my watch, because I'm on the East Coast. But, um, your pick to win, I think I already know who it's going to be, but who's your pick to win Darlington here on Sunday? It's what's the title of this race? It's Kyle Larson. Yeah. Yeah. What is this race called? Goodyear 400. Goodyear 400. Yeah. Kyle Larson. If I have to pick a non-Larson pick, I think I just talked myself into Ross Chastain. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go. I yeah. I'm going Larson. My my non um, Larson pick. Give me give me Truex, but yeah. I I do think Chastain's going to show up. Yeah, certainly. Sure. And and you know, the, lots of things can happen. I like Briscoe at fifty. I like Reddick at twenty twenty five. Like obviously Jones at fifty. These are all guys that I think can contend for top fives, tens. Jordan, make sure you're. All over the Bally Bet T5s uh, with these drivers. I'm still especially. refreshing this thing. I know. <laughs> he's, I'm, like you said, uh, you know, earlier when I had my hand on my face, I can see Jordan. He's looking at his phone right now. It's like, oh, uh, we just, we need, we need Bally Bet top fives everywhere. Unfortunately, DraftKings doesn't give those generous odds to us. But yeah, I think the three favorites probably should be Larson, Truex, and Potentially Chastain. I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if a Denny Hamlin or a Chase Elliott won. Uh, Kyle Busch, William Byron won. William Byron's somebody we haven't talked about at all. He had a bad mm-hmm. Dover race, but he's not bad here overall. Um, if you pull in his his lower series results, because right, because he's only had a few incident free races in Cup uh, at Darlington. He's only had four incident free races, major incident free races at Cup. So you add in his one. Xfinity incident free Darlington race, uh, and he's 5.8% better here than at an average track. And in a Hendrick car with way William Byron's run this year, 
5.8% better. You certainly can't rule him out uh, for, for being in contention for the win as well. And he won at Homestead last year. He did. And, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at he, – he had that stretch there of, you know, the Atlanta race, the Richmond race, and the Martinsville race he, that he just led 100-plus laps every single week. And mm-hmm. he's fallen on some hard times, which, you know, DFS-wise and even betting-wise, I can get people off of him. You know, he's yeah. finished finished 22nd at Dover, 15th at Dega, 18th at Bristol Dirt. But – Definitely a good week for Byron to bounce back. You know, if he has a if he has an incident free race, there's no doubt that he could finish top five, if not contend for the win this week. Uh, he did lead 16 laps at Fontana earlier this year, but he wrecked. I think he got put into a wall or something, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so don't count up Byron. Um, two guys, you know, we we mentioned briefly Logano and Bowman. They're kind of in the same wavelength for me. It's like they could have great races, but don't expect it. Harvick really want to wait and see how he practices. He could be a smash play or he could be a miss like this past weekend. Um, and man, I just, uh, I think this is such a cool week because Darlington, you're really good at it. Um, I've been good at, betting it i haven't been as good at dfs at it but i've been good at betting it and and this is another one of those things that we talk about where you were like rooting against byron even though you had a bet on him and that's because betting and dfs are different even though they're similar they're different if byron's starting dead last he could be a good bet to win the race because books make him way too long but then if 50 percent of the field's on byron you want to be underweight on him in dfs right so it's like a natural hedge there uh, mm-hmm. and that's why I love both DFS and betting. Sometimes your results can correlate. Sometimes they can diverge and they can still, even though they diverge, you can still be making positive EV plays by both betting and fading a driver, depending on which market you're in. Yeah, that was, I was definitely on Byron betting wise at Dover, but you know, once he wrecked and started 33rd or 34th, you know, DFS was, I think in pretty much, all my high dollar contests, I did not have Byron at all. I because I want that edge, you know. Yeah. Especially yeah. like the qualifying contest, and and we've talked about this before. I think you know you hit a qualifier like that a, a couple years ago, where if if they're going to be like eighty percent owned, and the only way that you win in this contest is finishing first, you take that chance. Like that's. That's the play every single time. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Kyle Larson starting dead last at Darlington. I'm probably going to be, I'm I'm going to fade him in a contest yep. like that. Yep. Because if he has issues, you just need to be competent, I think. And you'll skate in. Now, obviously, you know, most of the time that kind of strategy isn't going to hit, but all you need is to have it hit more than the, the you know, the percentage he's, he's, he's played or owned or whatever. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, dude, I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit here, but Palminar pick of the week, Christopher Bell. I said playing 25% yeah. in the optimal lineup. Let's go. Uh, How many? I, I feel like Palminar pick of the week has been in the optimal like more often than not this year. When I went the first two weeks, remember, I went with like higher dollar guys. Ever since then, I think we're hitting at like a, a 60, 67% rate, something like that. Uh, for for not necessarily being in the optimal, but for absolutely either being in the optimal or helping your lineup. 
right? Yeah. So, um, Palmar pick of the week this year has been on fire and fuego, and I'm pretty excited about that. So, uh, nailed Christopher Bell this week. I don't know who it's going to be this week. I have no idea. Could be, you know, total random person. I feel like I have an early leaning towards uh, potentially um, potentially William Byron, which I hate because it's higher dollar uh, in terms of pricing, price tag on, on DraftKings, or maybe a Chris Busher because when we were, you know, you mentioned Keselowski, I was like, well, what about Busher? So yeah, potentially that, although Busher did so well last week, there could be some bias there for, um, you know, that, but to be fair, he started in the poll and faded to eighth and didn't help fantasy lineups. So I don't know if that'll negate the recency bias. It'll be hard to tell. And of course, you know, a lot of DFS ownership and everything depends on salary, starting position and all that. So don't, don't, we're not going to be those people that say good DFS picks before the starting lineups even set. Yeah, those are exactly. Also so just keep an eye on these fun. guys. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Do you have anything else to add? No, I think we're good. Nope. All right. Darlington this week, and then what do we have next week? Kansas. Oh, I hate that track. <laughs> Kansas is interesting because, uh, and and obviously we'll talk about it next week, but it's a high-speed track. Even though it has tire wear, it's a high-speed track, and you can get some big wrecks at Kansas, which I'm not saying is a good thing, but you can definitely have some competition at Kansas. I think this could be very much like a Las Vegas, except potentially even more chaotic than a Las Vegas, maybe on the, on the auto club chaotic side. And both those were pretty chaotic. We had a lot of cautions. Chaos is outside of the short flats this year. Obviously Dover is a, a one mile. People have called it an air quote short track. I don't think of it as a short track. Um, because you're running 145, 150 miles average green flag speed. Yeah. Uh, there have been, there's been chaos issue. Dover had 13 cautions. Yes, there was a competition caution. There was a rain caution. There are two stage cautions. But that leaves nine other cautions, right? There have been cautions this year at these higher speed tracks. And I think we could see some cautions at, a, at uh, potentially Darlington. And I would think definitely at Kansas. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we have the All-Star Race and then the Coca-Cola 600. So, yeah, this this season's moving right along. We're already in May. I I don't know where this year is going. After this weekend, we're a third shit. of the way through the – after this weekend, we're a third of the way through the 36 points races. Man, that is – Yeah. Just unbelievable. Yeah. But, yeah. Good luck to everybody fantasy betting and just watching the race this week. Hope your driver – Drivers do well, and we will talk to you next week when we go to Kansas. See you guys.